0: Hey everyone, this episode is brought to you by com. Keep your feet warm And why not get something sent to you in the mail Feel like uh, you're getting something, you know Hey, get something in the mail during self-isolation Yeah, that's it com. Keep your feet warm um, Yeah, yeah, no, this is definitely to put a timestamp on when this show's coming out It is March 20-somethingth I've kind of quit I don't know, caring about the time. Um, It's just kind of a countdown till late April when the kids go back to school, and I can—I don't know. I'm—I'm honestly just waiting for free tests or not tests. Just I'm waiting for tests to be available in my area so I can go back to work because I was sick. Now I'm not sick, and I can't go back to work until I test clean. Uh, yeah. So hey, I'm gonna be doing this for a while. I'm bored. Uh, None of my podcasts are podcasting because of the fact that everyone's sick, doesn't want to be around each other. This is the great thing about being a one-man show. I just find stuff, I put it up, and I put it out. I'm probably going to be doing some Skype interviews with some folks to keep this train moving. I want you to have entertainment. That's what I've always wanted. I've wanted to, you know, people who can't read. I want them to be able to read and listen to uh, some classic literature. People who have learning disabilities and... You know, don't like to read. I want them to know who the classics are. my brother joe and this is this is kind of why I do this, and also, it's nice to have stuff to listen to all day long. I listen to podcasts all day long when I'm not making podcasts or working on stuff that I can't listen to podcasts and I just want to say support small podcasts. you know there's all those like ear howls out there, and you're you know your big media types and stuff like that support small podcasts help keep us going we keep you going we we'll f- we fill your day with all kinds of stuff help keep us going especially in a time like this where some of us are unemployed if you want to do that that'd be great there's more important stuff to give money and time to than podcasters right now i'll be super super duper serious about that so do what you can and remember we are available on facebook um you know, PGT-TCM, Black Clock, Audio Tales, Arthur Mackins, Three Imposters. This is one that I've done bits and pieces of when it was uh, People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos 24-7. But now, hey, with this, with Black Clock Audio Tales, I finally get to cover it. If you want to go back through the catalogs and listen to old stuff, I've got various people recording this back when I was trying to do that. But hey, here we go. Three Imposters. We're available on Instagram and also anywhere that you're going to find podcasts and Black Clock Audio Tales Special Edition.
1: Part 2 of the Novel of the Black Seal The next morning when I awoke and looked out of the bow window of the big old-fashioned bedroom, I saw under a gray sky a country that was still all mystery. The long lovely valley with the river winding in and out below crossed in mid-vision by a medieval bridge of vaulted and buttressed stone. The clear presence of the rising ground beyond, and the woods that I had only seen in shadow the night before, seemed tinged with enchantment, and the soft breath of air that sighed in at the open pane was like no other wind. I looked across the valley, and beyond, hill followed on hill as wave on wave, And here a faint blue pillar of smoke rose still in the morning air From the chimney of an ancient grey farmhouse There was a rugged height crowned with dark firs, And in the distance I saw the white streak of a road That climbed and vanished into some unimagined country But the boundary of all was a great wall of mountain Vast in the west and ending like a fortress with a steep ascent and a dome cumulus clear against the sky i saw professor gregg walking up and down the terrace path below the windows and it was evident that he was reveling in the sense of liberty and the thought that he had for a while bidden good-bye to task-work when i joined him there was exultation in his voice as he pointed out the sweep of valley and the river that wound beneath the lovely hills yes he said "'It is a strange and beautiful country, "'and to me, at least, it seems full of mystery. "'You have not forgotten the drawer I showed you, Miss Lally? "'No, and you have guessed "'that I have come here not merely for the sake of the children and the fresh air?' "'I think I have guessed as much as that,' I replied. "'But you must remember "'I do not know the mere nature of your investigations, "'and as for the connection between the search and this wonderful valley it is past my guessing he smiled queerly at me you must not think i am making a mystery for the sake of mystery he said i do not speak out because so far there is nothing to be spoken nothing definite i mean nothing that can be set down in hard black and white as dull and sure and irreproachable as any blue book and then i have another reason Many years ago a chance paragraph in a newspaper caught my attention and focused in an instant the vagrant thoughts and half-formed fancies of many idle and speculative hours into a certain hypothesis. I saw at once that I was treading on a thin crust. My theory was wild and fantastic in the extreme, and I would not for any consideration have written a hint of it for publication." But I thought that in the company of scientific men like myself, men who knew the course of discovery and were aware that the gas that blazes and flares in the gin palace was once a wild hypothesis, I thought that with such men as these I might hazard my dream, let us say Atlantis or the Philosopher's Stone or what you like, without danger of ridicule. "'I found I was grossly mistaken. "'My friends looked blankly at me and at one another, "'and I could see something of pity, "'and something also of insolent contempt "'in the glances they exchanged. "'One of them called on me next day "'and hinted that I must be suffering "'from overwork and brain exhaustion. "'In plain terms, I said, "'you think I am going mad. "'I think not.' and i showed him out with some little appearance of heat since that day i vowed that i would never whisper the nature of my story to any living soul to no one but yourself have i ever shown the contents of that drawer after all i may be following a rainbow i may have been misled by the play of coincidence "'But as I stand here, in this mystic hush and silence, beneath the woods and wild hills, "'I am more than ever sure that I am hot on the scent. "'Come, it is time we went in.' "'To me, in all this, there was something both of wonder and excitement. "'I knew how, in his ordinary work, Professor Gregg, "'moved step by step, testing every inch of the way, "'and never venturing on assertion without proof.' that was impregnable yet i divined more from his glance and the vehemence of his tone than from the spoken word that he had in his every thought the vision of the almost incredible continually with him and i who was with some share of imagination no little of a skeptic offended at a hint of the marvelous could not help asking myself whether he were cherishing a monomania and barring out from this one subject all the scientific method of his other life yet with this image of mystery haunting my thoughts i surrendered wholly to the charm of the country above the faded house on the hillside began the great forest a long dark line seen from the opposing hills stretching above the river for many a mile from north to south and yielding in the north to even wilder country barren and savage hills and ragged common land a territory all strange and unvisited and more unknown to Englishmen than the very heart of Africa the space of a couple of steep fields alone separated the house from the woods "'and the children were delighted to follow me "'up the long alleys of undergrowth "'beneath smooth-pleached walls of shining beech "'to the highest point in the wood "'whence one looked on one side across the river "'and the rise and fall of the country "'to the great western mountain wall "'and on the other over the surge and dip "'of the myriad trees of the forest "'over level meadows and the shining yellow sea "'to the faint coast beyond.' I used to sit at this point on the warm sunlit turf which marked the track of the Roman road while the two children raced about hunting for the windberries that grew here and there on the banks. Here, beneath the deep blue sky and the great clouds rolling like olden galleons with sails full-bellied from the sea to the hills, as I listened to the whispered charm of the great and ancient wood, i lived solely for delight and only remembered strange things when we would return to the house and find professor gregg either shut up in the little room he had made his study or else pacing the terrace with the look patient and enthusiastic of the determined seeker one morning some eight or nine days after our arrival i looked out of my window and saw the whole landscape transmuted before me the clouds had dipped low and hidden the mountain in the west the southern wind was driving the rain in shifting pillars up the valley and the little brooklet that burst the hill below the house now raged a red torrent down the river we were perforce obliged to keep snug within doors and when i had attended to my pupils I sat down in the morning room, where the ruins of a library still encumbered an old-fashioned bookcase. I had inspected the shelves once or twice, but their contents had failed to attract me. Volumes of 18th century sermons, an old book on farriery, a collection of poems by persons of quality, Prideaux's Connection, and an odd volume of Pope. Were the boundaries of the library, and there seemed little doubt that everything of interest or value had been removed. Now, however, in desperation, I began to re-examine the musty sheepskin and calf bindings, and found, much to my delight, a fine old quarto printed by the Stefani, containing three books of Pomponius Mella, De Situ Orbis, and other of the ancient geographers, I knew enough of Latin to steer my way through an ordinary sentence, and I soon became absorbed by the odd mixture of fact and fancy, light shining on a little of the space of the world, and beyond, mist and shadow, and awful forms. Glancing over the clear printed pages, my attention was caught by the heading of a chapter in Solinus, and I read the words... Mira De Intimis Gentibus Libiae De Lapide Hexe Contalito The wonders of the people that inhabit the inner parts of Libya, and the stone called Sixty Stone. The odd title attracted me, and I read on. Gens ista avia er secreta habitat, In montibus horrendis feda misteria celebrat, De omnibus nihil aliud illi preferunt quam ficuram ab humano ritu porus exulant, oderunt illum lucis stridunt potius quam locuntur vox absconna nec sine horrore auditur, lapide quodam gloriantur quem exicunt aliton vocant, dicunt enim. Unc lapidem sexaginta nota sustendere, cuius lapidis nomen secretum ineffabile colunt quod This folk, I translated to myself, dwells in remote and secret places and celebrates foul mysteries on savage hills. Nothing have they in common with men, save the face, and the customs of humanity are wholly strange to them. And they hate the sun. They hiss rather than speak. Their voices are harsh and not to be heard without fear. They boast of a certain stone which they call Sixty Stone, for they say that it displays sixty characters. And this stone has a secret unspeakable name, which is Ixaxar. I laughed at the queer inconsequence of all this and thought it fit for sinbad the sailor or other of the supplementary nights when i saw professor gregg in the course of the day i told him of my find in the bookcase and the fantastic rubbish i had been reading to my surprise he looked up at me with an expression of great interest this is really very curious he said i have never thought it worth while to look into the old geographers and i dare say i have missed a good deal "'Ah, that is the passage, is it? "'It seems a shame to rob you of your entertainment, "'but I really think I must carry off the book.' "'The next day the professor called me to come to the study. "'I found him sitting at a table in the full light of the window, "'scrutinizing something very attentively with a magnifying glass. "'Ah, Miss Lally,' he began, "'I want to use your eyes. "'This glass is pretty good.' but not like my old one that I left in town. Would you mind examining the thing yourself and telling me how many characters are cut on it?' He handed me the object in his hand. I saw that it was the black seal he had shown me in London, and my heart began to beat with the thought that I was presently to know something. I took the seal and, holding it up to the light, checked off the grotesque dagger-shaped characters one by one. "'I make sixty-two. "'I said at last. sixty two 2 nonsense! "'It's impossible. "'Ah, I see what you have done. "'You have counted that and that.' "'And he pointed to two marks, "'which I had certainly taken for letters with the rest. "'Yes, yes,' Professor Gregg went on, "'but those are obvious scratches done accidentally. "'I saw that at once.' "'Yes, then that's quite right.' Mm, "'Thank you very much, Miss Lally.' I was going away rather disappointed at my having been called in merely to count a number of marks on the black seal, when suddenly there flashed into my mind what I had read in the morning. "'But, Professor Gregg,' I cried breathless, "'the seal, the seal, why, it is the stone Execontalitos that Solinus writes of. It is Ixaxar.' "'Yes,' he said. "'I suppose it is.' "'Or it may be a mere coincidence. "'It never does to be too sure, you know. "'In these matters, coincidence killed the Professor.' "'I went away puzzled by what I had heard, "'and as much as ever at a loss to find the ruling clue "'in this maze of strange evidence. "'For three days the bad weather lasted, "'changing from driving rain to a dense mist, fine and dripping.' "'and we seemed to be shut up in a white cloud "'that veiled all the world away from us. "'All the while Professor Gregg was darkling in his room, "'unwilling, it appeared to dispense confidences "'or talk of any kind. "'I heard him walking to and fro with a quick, impatient step, "'as if he were in some way wearied of inaction. "'The fourth morning was fine, "'and at breakfast the Professor said briskly, "'We want some extra help about the house. "'A boy of fifteen or sixteen, you know. "'There are a lot of little odd jobs that take up the maid's time, "'which a boy could do much better.' "'The girls have not complained to me in any way,' I replied. "'Indeed Anne said there was much less work than in London owing to there being so little dust.' "'Ah, yes, they are very good girls. "'But I think we shall do much better with a boy. "'In fact, that is what has been bothering me for the last two days.' "'Bothering you?' I said in astonishment, "'for as a matter of fact the Professor never took the slightest interest "'in the affairs of the House.' "'Yes,' he said. "'The weather, you know. "'I really couldn't go out in that Scotch mist. "'I don't know the country very well, and I should have lost my way.' but i am going to get the boy this morning but how do you know there is such a boy as you want anywhere about oh i have no doubt as to that i may have to walk a mile or two at the most but i am sure to find just the boy i require i thought the professor was joking but though his tone was airy enough "'There was something grim and set about his features that puzzled me. "'He got his stick and stood at the door, looking meditatively before him, "'and as I passed through the hall, he called to me. "'By the way, Miss Lally, there was one thing I wanted to say to you. "'I dare say you may have heard that some of these country lads are not over-bright. "'Idiotic would be a harsh word to use. "'And they are usually called naturals, or something of the kind.' "'I hope you won't mind if the boy I am after "'should turn out uh, not too keen-witted. "'He will be perfectly harmless, of course, "'and blacking boots doesn't need much mental effort.' "'With that, he was gone, "'striding up the road that led to the wood, "'and I remained stupefied. "'And then, for the first time, "'my astonishment was mingled with a sudden note of terror, "'arising I knew not whence, "'and all unexplained even to myself.' and yet I felt about my heart for an instant something of the chill of death and that shapeless, formless dread of the unknown that is worse than death itself. I tried to find courage in the sweet air that blew up from the sea and in the sunlight after rain, but the mystic woods seemed to darken around me "'and the vision of the river coiling between the reeds "'and the silver-gray of the ancient bridge "'fashioned in my mind symbols of vague dread "'as the mind of a child "'fashions terror from things harmless and familiar. Two hours later Professor Gregg returned. "'I met him as he came down the road "'and asked quietly if he had been able to find a boy. "'Oh, yes,' he answered. "'I found one easily enough. "'His name is Gervase Craddock.' And I expect he will make himself very useful His father has been dead for many years And the mother, whom I saw Seemed very glad at the prospect of a few shillings extra Coming in on Saturday nights As I expected, he is not too sharp Has fits at times, the mother said But as he will not be trusted with the china That doesn't much matter, does it? And he is not in any way dangerous You know, merely a little weak when is he coming tomorrow morning at eight o'clock And we will show him what he has to do and how to do it at first he will go home every night but perhaps it may ultimately turn out more convenient for him to sleep here and only go home for sundays i found nothing to say to all this professor gregg spoke in a quiet tone of matter-of-fact as indeed was warranted by the circumstance, and yet I could not quell my sensation of astonishment at the whole affair. I knew that, in reality, no assistance was wanted in the housework, and the professor's prediction that the boy he was to engage might prove a little simple, followed by so exact a fulfillment, struck me as bizarre in the extreme. The next morning I heard from the housemaid that the boy Craddock had come at eight, "'and that she had been trying to make him useful. "'He doesn't seem quite all there, I don't think, miss,' was her comment, "'and later in the day I saw him helping the old man who worked in the garden. "'He was a youth of about fourteen, with black hair and black eyes and an olive skin, "'and I saw at once, from the curious vacancy of his expression, that he was mentally weak. "'He touched his forehead awkwardly as I went by,' and i heard him answering the gardener in a queer harsh voice that caught my attention it gave me the impression of someone speaking deep below under the earth and there was a strange sibilance like the hissing of the phonograph as the pointer travels over the cylinder i heard that he seemed anxious to do what he could and was quite docile and obedient and morgan the gardener who knew his mother assured me he was perfectly harmless "'He's always a bit queer,' he said, "'and no wonder, after what his mother went through before he was born. "'I did know his father, Thomas Craddock, well, "'and a very fine workman he was too indeed. "'He got something wrong with his lungs owing to working in the wet woods and never got over it, "'and went off quite sudden-like, "'and they do say as how Mrs. Craddock was quite off her head. "'Anyhow she was found by Mr. Hillier, Ty Koch, all crouched up on the grey hills, over there crying and weeping like a lost soul. And Gervase, he was born about eight months afterwards, and, as I was saying, he was a bit queer always, and they do say when he could scarcely walk he would frighten the other children into fits with noises he would make.' A word in the story had stirred up some remembrance within me, and, vaguely curious, I asked the old man where the grey hills were. Up there, he said, with the same gesture he had used before, you go past the fox and hounds and through the forest by the old ruins. It's a good five miles from here and strange sort of a place. The poorest soil between this and Monmouth, they do say, and though it's good feed for sheep... Yes, it was a sad thing for poor Mrs. Craddock. End of part two of Novel of the Black Seal. Part three of Novel of the Black Seal. The old man returned to his work, and I strolled on down the path between the espaliers, gnarled and gouty with age, thinking of the story I had heard and groping for the point in it that had some key to my memory in an instant it came before me i had seen the phrase gray hills on the slip of yellow paper that professor gregg had taken from the drawer in his cabinet again i was seized with pangs of mingled curiosity and fear I remembered the strange characters copied from the limestone rock, and then again their identity, with the inscription of the age-old seal and the fantastic fables of the Latin geographer. I saw beyond doubt that, unless coincidence had set all the scene and disposed all these bizarre events with curious art, I was to be a spectator of things far removed from the usual and customary traffic and jostle of life professor gregg i noted day by day he was hot on his trail growing lean with eagerness and in the evenings when the sun was swimming on the verge of the mountain he would pace the terrace to and fro with his eyes on the ground while the mist grew white in the valley, and the stillness of the evening brought far voices near, and the blue smoke rose a straight column from the diamond-shaped chimney of the gray farmhouse, just as I had seen it on the first morning. I have told you I was of skeptical habit, but though I understood little or nothing, I began to dread, vainly proposing to myself the iterated dogmas of science that all life is material and that in the system of things there is no undiscovered land even beyond the remotest stars where the supernatural can find a footing yet there struck in on this the thought that matter is really as awful and unknown as spirit, that science itself but dallies on the threshold, scarcely gaining more than a glimpse of the wonders of the inner place. There is one day that stands up from amidst the others as a grim red beacon betokening evil to come. I was sitting on a bench in the garden, watching the boy Craddock weeding, when i was suddenly alarmed by a harsh and choking sound like the cry of a wild beast in anguish and i was unspeakably shocked to see the unfortunate lad standing in full view before me his whole body quivering and shaking at short intervals as though shocks of electricity were passing through him his teeth grinding foam gathering on his lips and his face all swollen and blackened to a hideous mask of humanity i shrieked with terror and professor gregg came running and as i pointed to craddock the boy with one convulsive shudder fell face forward and lay on the wet earth his body writhing like a wounded blind-worm and an inconceivable babble of sounds bursting and rattling and hissing from his lips he seemed to pour forth an infamous jargon with words, or what seemed words, that might have belonged to a tongue dead since untold ages and buried beneath nilotic mud or in the inmost recesses of the Mexican forest. For a moment the thought passed through my mind as my ears were still revolted with that infernal clamor. Surely this is the very speech of hell, and then i cried out again and again and ran away shuddering to my inmost soul i had seen professor Gregg's face as he stooped over the wretched boy and raised him and i was appalled by the glow of exultation that shone on every lineament and feature as i sat in my room with drawn blinds and my eyes hidden in my hands i heard heavy steps beneath And I was told afterwards that Professor Gregg had carried craddock to his study and had locked the door. I heard voices murmur indistinctly, and I trembled to think of what might be passing within a few feet of where I sat. I longed to escape to the woods and sunshine, and yet I dreaded the sights that might confront me on the way. And at last, as I held the handle of the door nervously, I heard Professor Gregg's voice calling to me with a cheerful ring. "'It's all right now, Miss Lally,' he said. "'The poor fellow has got over it, and I have been arranging for him to sleep here after tomorrow. "'Perhaps I may be able to do something for him.' "'Yes,' he said later. "'It was a very painful sight, and I don't wonder you were alarmed. "'We may hope that good food will build him up a little.' "'but I am afraid he will never be really cured.' "'And he affected the dismal and conventional air "'with which one speaks of hopeless illness. "'And yet beneath it I detected the delight "'that leapt up rampant within him "'and fought and struggled to find utterance. "'It was as if one glanced down "'on the even surface of the sea, "'clear and immobile, and saw beneath raging depths and a storm of contending billows it was indeed to me a torturing and offensive problem that this man who had so bounteously rescued me from the sharpness of death and showed himself in all the relations of life full of benevolence and pity and kindly forethought should so manifestly be for once "'on the side of the demons, "'and take a ghastly pleasure "'in the torments of an afflicted fellow-creature. "'Apart I struggled with the horned difficulty, "'and strove to find the solution, "'but without the hint of a clue "'beset by mystery and contradiction. "'I saw nothing that might help me, "'and began to wonder whether, after all, "'I had not escaped from the white mist of the suburb "'at too dear a rate.' i hinted something of my thought to the professor i said enough to let him know that i was in the most acute perplexity but the moment after regretted what i had done when i saw his face contort with a spasm of pain my dear miss lally he said you surely do not wish to leave us no no you would not do it you do not know how i rely on you how confidently i go forward assured that you are here to watch over my children you miss lally are my rear guard for let me tell you the business in which i am engaged is not wholly devoid of peril you have not forgotten what i said the first morning here my lips are shut by an old and firm resolve till they can open to utter no ingenious hypothesis or vague surmise but irrefragable fact as certain as a demonstration in mathematics "'Think it over, Miss Lally. "'Not for a moment would I endeavor to keep you here "'against your own instincts, "'and yet I tell you frankly that I am persuaded "'it is here, here amidst the woods, "'that your duty lies. "'I was touched by the eloquence of his tone "'and by the remembrance that the man, after all, "'had been my salvation, "'and I gave him my hand on a promise "'to serve him loyally and without question.' "'A few days later the rector of our church, a little church, gray and severe and quaint, "'that hovered on the very banks of the river and watched the tides swim and return, came to see us, "'and Professor Gregg easily persuaded him to stay and share our dinner. "'Mr. Merrick was a member of an antique family of squires, "'whose old manor-house stood amongst the hills some seven miles away.' and thus rooted in the soil, the rector was a living store of all the old fading customs and lore of the country. His manner, genial with a deal of retired oddity, won on Professor Gregg. And towards the cheese, when a curious burgundy had begun its incantations, the two men glowed like the wine and talked of philology with the enthusiasm of a burgess over the peerage the parson was expounding the pronunciation of the Welsh double L and producing sounds like the gurgle of his native brooks when Professor Gregg struck in. By the way, he said, that was a very odd word I met with the other day. You know my boy, poor Gervase Craddock? Well, he has got the bad habit of talking to himself. And the day before yesterday, I was walking in the garden here and heard him. He was evidently quite unconscious of my presence. A lot of what he said I couldn't make out, but one word struck me distinctly. It was such an odd sound, half sibilant, half guttural, and as quaint as those double L's you have been demonstrating. I do not know whether I can give you an idea of the sound. Isshaksar is perhaps as near as I can get, but the K ought to be a Greek kai, or a Spanish jota. Now what does it mean in Welsh? In Welsh? Said the parson. There is no such word in Welsh, nor any word remotely resembling it. I know the book Welsh, as they call it, and the colloquial dialects, as well as any man. But there's no word like that from Anglesey to Usk. Besides, none of the Craddocks speak a word of Welsh. It's dying out here. Really? "'You interest me extremely, Mr. Merrick. "'I confess the word didn't strike me "'as having a Welsh ring, "'but I thought it might be some local corruption.' "'No, I never heard such a word "'or anything like it. "'Indeed,' he added, smiling whimsically, "'if it belongs to any language, "'I should say it must be that of the fairies, "'the Tilewood Teg, as we call them.' "'The talk went on to the discovery "'of a Roman villa in the neighbourhood. "'and soon after I left the room "'and sat down apart to wonder "'at the drawing together of such strange clues of evidence. "'As the professor had spoken of the curious word, "'I had caught the glint in his eye upon me, "'and though the pronunciation he gave "'was grotesque in the extreme, "'I recognized the name of the stone of sixty characters "'mentioned by Solinus. "'The black seal shut up in some secret drawer of the study.' Stamped forever by a vanished race With signs that no man could read Signs that might for all I knew Be the veils of awful things done long ago And forgotten before the hills were molded into form When the next morning I came down I found Professor Gregg pacing the terrace in his eternal walk Look at that bridge, he said, when he saw me observe the quaint and gothic design the angles between the arches and the silvery gray of the stone in the awe of the morning light I confess it seems to me symbolic it should illustrate a mystical allegory of the passage from one world to another Professor Gregg, I said quietly it is time that I knew something of what has happened and of what is to happen for the moment he put me off But I returned again with the same question in the evening, and then Professor Gregg flamed with excitement. "'Don't you understand yet?' he cried. "'But I have told you a good deal, yes, and shown you a good deal. "'You have heard pretty nearly all that I have heard, and seen what I have seen, or at least—' And his voice chilled as he spoke, enough to make a good deal clear as noonday.' The servants told you I have no doubt that the wretched boy Craddock had another seizure the night before last. He awoke me with cries in that voice you heard in the garden, and I went to him, and, God forbid, you should see what I saw that night. But all this is useless. My time here is drawing to a close. I must be back in town in three weeks, as I have a course of lectures to prepare, and need all my books about me. In a very few days it will... "'be all over, and I shall no longer hint "'and no longer be liable to ridicule "'as a madman and a quack. "'No, I shall speak plainly, "'and I shall be heard with such emotions "'as perhaps no other man has ever drawn "'from the breasts of his fellows.' "'He paused, and seemed to grow radiant "'with the joy of great and wonderful discovery. "'But all that is for the future, "'the near future, certainly, "'but still the future.' he went on at length there is something to be done yet you will remember my telling you that my researches were not altogether devoid of peril yes, there is a certain amount of danger to be faced I did not know how much when I spoke on the subject before and to a certain extent I am still in the dark but it will be strange adventure the last of all the last demonstration in the chain he was walking up and down the room as he spoke and i could hear in his voice the contending tones of exultation and despondence or perhaps i should say awe the awe of a man who goes forth on unknown waters and i thought of his allusions to columbus on the night he had laid his book before me the evening was a little chilly and a fire of logs had been lighted in the study where we were The remittent flame and the glow on the walls reminded me of the old days. I was sitting silent in an armchair by the fire, wondering over all I had heard, and still vainly speculating as to the secret springs concealed from me under all the phantasmagoria I had witnessed, when I became suddenly aware of a sensation that change of some sort had been at work in the room and that there was something unfamiliar in its aspect for some time I looked about me trying in vain to localize the alteration that I knew had been made the table by the window, the chairs, the faded settee were all as I had known them suddenly, as a sought-for recollection flashes into the mind I knew what was amiss I was facing the professor's desk, which stood on the other side of the fire, and above the desk was a grimy-looking bust of pit that I had never seen there before. And then I remembered the true position of this work of art. In the furthest corner, by the door, was an old cupboard projecting into the room, and on top of the cupboard, fifteen feet from the floor, the bust had been, and there, no doubt, it had delayed accumulating dirt, since the early days of the century i was utterly amazed and sat silent still in a confusion of thought there was so far as i knew no such thing as a step ladder in the house for i had asked for one to make some alterations in the curtains of my room and a tall man standing on a chair would have found it impossible to take down the bust "'It had been placed not on the edge of the cupboard, "'but far back against the wall, "'and Professor Gregg was, if anything, under the average height. "'How on earth did you manage to get down pit? I said at last. "'The Professor looked curiously at me and seemed to hesitate a little. "'They must have found you a step stepladderer. "'Perhaps the gardener brought in a short ladder from outside?' "'No.' "'I had no ladder of any kind. Uh, "'Now, Miss Lally,' he went on with an awkward simulation of jest, "'there is a little puzzle for you, "'a problem in the manner of the inimitable Holmes. "'There are the facts, plain and patent. "'Summon your acuteness to the solution of the puzzle. "'For heaven's sake!' he cried with a breaking voice. "'Say no more about it. "'I tell you, I never touched the thing.' And he went out of the room with horror manifest on his face, and his hand shook and jarred the door behind him. I looked round the room in vague surprise, not at all realizing what had happened, making vain and idle surmises by way of explanation, and wondering at the stirring of black waters by an idle word and the trivial change of an ornament. "'This is some petty business, some quim on which I have jarred,' I reflected. "'The professor is perhaps scrupulous and superstitious over trifles, "'and my question may have outraged unacknowledged fears "'as though one killed a spider or spilled the salt "'before the very eyes of a practical Scotchwoman. "'I was immersed in these fond suspicions "'and began to plume myself a little on my immunity from such empty fears,' when the truth fell heavily as lead upon my heart, and I recognized with cold terror that some awful influence had been at work. The bust was simply inaccessible. Without a ladder, no one could have touched it. I went out to the kitchen and spoke as quietly as I could to the housemaid. Who moved that bust from the top of the cupboard, Anne? "'I said to her, "'Professor Gregg says he has not touched it. "'Did you find an old stepladder in one of the outhouses?' "'The girl looked at me blankly. "'I never touched it,' she said. "'I found it where it is now, the other morning, when I dusted the room. "'I remember now. "'It was Wednesday morning because it was the morning after Craddock was taken bad in the night.' "'My room is next to his, you know, miss.' "'The girl went on piteously, and it was awful to hear how he cried and called out names that I couldn't understand. "'It made me feel all afraid. "'And then Master came, and I heard him speak, and he took down Craddock to the study and gave him something. "'And you found that bust moved the next morning?' "'Yes, miss.' "'There was a queer sort of smell in the study "'when I came down and opened the windows. "'A bad smell it was, and I wondered what it could be. "'Do you know, Miss, I went a long time ago to the zoo in London "'with my cousin Thomas Barker, one afternoon that I had off, "'when I was at Mrs. Prince's in Stanhope Gate, "'and we went into the snake-house to see the snakes.' and it was just the same sort of smell very sick it made me feel I remember and I got Barker to take me out and it was just the same kind of smell in the study as I was saying and I was wondering what it could be from when I see that bust with Pitt cut in it standing on the master's desk and I thought to myself now who has done that and how have they done it and when i came to dust the things i looked at the bust and i saw a great mark on it where the dust was gone for i don't think it can have been touched with a duster for years and years and it wasn't like finger marks but a large patch like broad and spread out so i passed my hand over it without thinking what I was doing and where that patch was it was all sticky and slimy as if a snail had crawled over it very strange isn't it miss and I wonder who can have done it and how that mess was made end of part three of the novel of the black seal part four of Novel of the Black Seal The well-meant gabble of the servant Touched me to the quick I lay down upon my bed And bit my lip That I should not cry out loud In the sharp anguish Of my terror and bewilderment Indeed, I was almost mad with dread I believe that if it had been daylight I should have fled hot foot Forgetting all courage And all the debt of gratitude That was due to Professor Gregg not caring whether my fate were that i must starve slowly so long as i might escape from the net of blind and panic fear that every day seemed to draw a little closer round me if i knew i thought if i knew what there was to dread i could guard against it but here in this lonely house Shut in on all sides by the olden woods and the vaulted hills Terror seems to spring inconsequent from every covert And the flesh is aghast at the half-hearted murmurs of horrible things All in vain I strove to summon skepticism to my aid And endeavored by cool common sense to buttress my belief in a world of natural order For the air that blew in at the open window was a mystic breath and in the darkness I felt the silence go heavy and sorrowful as a mass of requiem, and I conjured images of strange shapes gathering fast amidst the reeds beside the wash of the river. In the morning, from the moment that I set foot in the breakfast-room, I felt that the unknown plot was drawing to a crisis. The professor's face was firm and set, and he seemed hardly to hear our voices when we spoke. "'I am going out for a rather long walk,' he said, when the meal was over. "'You mustn't be expecting me now, or thinking anything has happened if I don't turn up to dinner. "'I have been getting stupid lately, and I dare say a miniature walking tour will do me good. "'Perhaps I may even spend the night in some little inn, if I find any place that looks clean and comfortable.' i heard this and i knew by my experience of professor gregg's manner that it was no ordinary business of pleasure that impelled him i knew not nor even remotely guessed where he was bound nor had i the vaguest notion of his errand but all the fear of the night before returned and as he stood smiling on the terrace ready to set out i implored him to stay and to forget all his dreams of the undiscovered continent "'No, no, Miss Lally,' he replied, still smiling, "'it's too late now. "'Vestigia nulla retrosum, you know, "'is the device of all true explorers, "'though I hope it won't be literally true in my case. "'But indeed you are wrong to alarm yourself so. "'I look upon my little expedition as quite commonplace. "'No more exciting than a day with the geological hammers.' "'There is a risk, of course, but so there is on the commonest excursion. "'I can afford to be jaunty. "'I am doing nothing so hazardous as Harry does a hundred times "'over in the course of every bank holiday. "'Well, then, you must look more cheerfully, "'and so good-bye till to-morrow at latest.' "'He walked briskly up the road, "'and I saw him open the gate that marks the entrance of the wood.' and then he vanished in the gloom of the trees all the day passed heavily with a strange darkness in the air and again i felt as if imprisoned amidst the ancient woods shut in an olden land of mystery and dread and as if all was long ago and forgotten by the living outside i hoped and dreaded and when the dinner hour came i waited expecting to hear the professor's step in the hall and his voice exulting at I knew not what triumph I composed my face to welcome him gladly but the night descended dark and he did not come in the morning when the maid knocked at my door I called out to her and asked if her master had returned and when she replied that his bedroom door stood open and empty I felt the cold clasp of despair Still, I fancied he might have discovered genial company and would return for luncheon or perhaps in the afternoon. And I took the children for a walk in the forest and tried my best to play and laugh with them and to shout out the thoughts of mystery and veiled terror. Hour after hour I waited, and my thoughts grew darker. Again the night came and found me watching, and at last, as I was making much ado to finish my dinner, "'I heard steps outside, and the sound of a man's voice. "'The maid came in and looked oddly at me. "'Please, miss,' she began. "'Mr. Morgan, the gardener wants to speak to you for a minute, if you didn't mind. "'Show him in, please,' I answered and set my lips tight. "'The old man came slowly into the room, and the servant shut the door behind him. "'Sit down, Mr. Morgan,' I said. "'What is it that you want to say to me?' "'Well, Miss? Mr. Gregg, he gave me something for you yesterday morning, just before he went off, "'and he told me particular not to hand it up before eight o'clock this evening exactly. "'If so be he wasn't back again home before, and he should come home before "'I was just to return it to him in his own hands. "'So you see, as Mr. Gregg isn't here yet, uh, I suppose I'd better give you the parcel directly.' "'He pulled out something from his pocket and gave it to me, half-rising. "'I took it silently, and seeing that Morgan seemed doubtful as to what he was to do next, "'I thanked him and bade him good-night, and he went out. "'I was left alone in the room, with a parcel in my hand, a paper parcel, "'neatly sealed and directed to me, with the instructions Morgan had quoted, "'all written in the professor's large, loose hand.' I broke the seals with a choking at my heart, and found an envelope inside, addressed also, but open, and I took the letter out. My dear Miss Lally, it began. To quote the old logic manual, the case of your reading this note is a case of my having made a blunder of some sort. And i am afraid a blunder that turns these lines into a farewell it is practically certain that neither you nor anyone else will ever see me again i have made my will with provision for this eventuality and i hope you will consent to accept the small remembrance addressed to you and my sincere thanks for the way in which you joined your fortunes to mine THE FATE WHICH HAS COME UPON ME IS DESPERATE AND TERRIBLE BEYOND THE REMOTEST DREAMS OF MAN, BUT THIS FATE YOU HAVE A RIGHT TO KNOW, IF YOU PLEASE. IF YOU LOOK IN THE LEFT-HAND DRAWER OF MY DRESSING TABLE, YOU WILL FIND THE KEY OF THE ESCRITOIRE PROPERLY LABELED. IN THE WELL OF THE ESCRITOIRE IS A LARGE ENVELOPE SEALED AND ADDRESSED TO YOUR NAME. I advise you to throw it forthwith into the fire You will sleep better of nights if you do so But if you must know the history of what has happened It is all written down for you to read The signature was firmly written below And again I turned the page and read out the words One by one aghast and white to the lips My hands cold as ice and sickness choking me The dead silence of the room and the thought of the dark woods and hills closing me in on every side oppressed me, helpless and without capacity, and not knowing where to turn for counsel. At last I resolved that, though knowledge should haunt my whole life and all the days to come, I must know the meaning of the strange terrors that, had so long tormented me, rising gray, dim, and awful, like the shadows in the wood at dusk. I carefully carried out Professor Gregg's directions, and not without reluctance, broke the seal of the envelope, and spread out his manuscript before me. That manuscript I always carry with me, and I see that I cannot deny your unspoken request to read it. This, then, was what I read that night, sitting at the desk with a shaded lamp beside me the young lady who called herself miss lally then proceeded to recite the statement of william gregg f r s etc it is many years since the first glimmer of the theory which is now almost if not quite reduced to fact dawned on my mind A somewhat extensive course of miscellaneous and obsolete reading Had done a great deal to prepare the way And later, when I became somewhat of a specialist And immersed myself in the studies Known as ethnological I was now and then startled By facts that would not square with orthodox scientific opinion And by discoveries that seemed to hint At something still hidden for all our research. More particularly, I became convinced that much of the folklore of the world is but an exaggerated account of events that really happened. And I was especially drawn to consider the stories of the fairies, the good folk of the Celtic races. Here, I thought I could detect the fringe of embroidery and exaggeration, the fantastic guise, the little people, dressed in green and gold, sporting in the flowers. And I thought I saw a distinct analogy between the name given to this race, supposed to be imaginary, and the description of their appearance and manners, just as our remote ancestors called the dreaded beings fair and good, precisely because they dreaded them, So they had dressed them up in charming forms Knowing the truth to be the very reverse Literature, too, had gone early to work And had lent a powerful hand in the transformation So that the playful elves of Shakespeare Are already far removed from the true original And the real horror is disguised in a form of prankish mischief but in the older tales, the stories that used to make men cross themselves as they sat around the burning logs, we tread a different stage. I saw a widely opposed spirit in certain histories of children and of men and women who vanished strangely from the earth. They would be seen by a peasant in the fields walking towards some green and rounded hillock and see no more on earth and there are stories of mothers who have left a child quietly sleeping with a cottage door rudely barred with a piece of wood and have returned not to find the plump and rosy little Saxon but a thin, wizened creature with sallow skin and black, piercing eyes the child of another race. Then again, there were myths darker still the dread of witch and wizard the lurid evil of the sabbath and the hint of demons who mingled with the daughters of men and just as we have turned the terrible fair folk into a company of benignant if freakish elves so we have hidden from us the black foulness of the witch and her companions under a popular diablerie of old women and broomsticks and a comic cat with tail on end. So the Greeks called the hideous furies benevolent ladies, and thus the northern nations have followed their example. I pursued my investigations, stealing odd hours from other and more imperative labors, and I asked myself the question, supposing these traditions to be true, who were the demons who are reported to have attended the Sabbaths? I need not say that I laid aside what I may call the supernatural hypothesis of the Middle Ages, and came to the conclusion that fairies and devils were of one and the same race and origin. Invention, no doubt, and the gothic fancy of old days, had done much in the way of exaggeration and distortion. Yet, I firmly believe that beneath all this imagery there was a black background of truth. As for some of the alleged wonders, I hesitated. While I should be very loath to receive any one specific instance of modern spiritualism as containing even a grain of the genuine, yet I was not wholly prepared to deny that human flesh may now and then, once perhaps in ten million cases, be the veil of powers... "'which seem magical to us, "'powers which so far from proceeding from the heights "'and leading men thither are in reality "'survivals from the depths of being. "'The amoeba and the snail have powers which we do not possess, "'and I thought it possible that the theory of reversion "'might explain many things which seem wholly inexplicable. "'Thus stood my position.' I saw good reason to believe that much of the tradition, a vast deal of the earliest and uncorrupted tradition of the so-called fairies represented solid fact, and I thought that the purely supernatural element in these traditions was to be accounted for on the hypothesis that a race which had fallen out of the grand march of evolution might have retained as a survival certain powers which would be to us wholly miraculous. Such was my theory, as it stood conceived in my mind, and working with this in view, I seemed to gather confirmation from every side, from the spoils of a tumulus or a barrow, from a local paper reporting an antiquarian meeting in the country, and from general literature of all kinds. Among other instances, I remember being struck by the phrase articulate speaking men in homer as if the writer knew or had heard of men whose speech was so rude that it could hardly be termed articulate and on my hypothesis of a race who had lagged far behind the rest i could easily conceive that such a folk would speak a jargon but little removed from the inarticulate noises of brute beasts "'Thus I stood satisfied that my conjecture "'was at all events not far removed from fact. "'When a chance paragraph in a small country print one day "'arrested my attention, "'it was a short account of what was to all appearance "'the usual sordid tragedy of the village, "'a young girl, unaccountably missing, "'and evil rumor blatant and busy with her reputation.' yet i could read between the lines that all this scandal was purely hypothetical and in all probability invented to account for what was in any other manner unaccountable a flight to london or liverpool or an undiscovered body lying with a weight about its neck in the foul depths of a woodland pool or perhaps murder such were the theories of the wretched girl's neighbors but as i idly scanned the paragraph a flash of thought passed through me with the violence of an electric shock what if the obscure and horrible race of the hills still survived still remained haunting wild places and barren hills and now and then repeating the evil of gothic legend unchanged and unchangeable as the turanian Shelta or the basques of spain i have said that the thought came with violence and indeed i drew in my breath sharply and clung with both hands to my elbow-chair in a strange confusion of horror and elation it was as if one of my confrères of physical science roaming in a quiet english wood had been suddenly stricken aghast by the presence of the slimy and loathsome terror of the ithyosaurus the original of the stories of the awful worms killed by valorous knights or had seen the sun darkened by the pterodactyl the dragon of tradition yet as a resolute explorer of knowledge the thought of such a discovery threw me into a passion of joy and i cut out the slip from the paper and put it in a drawer in my old bureau resolved that it should be but the first piece in a collection of the strangest significance i sat long that evening dreaming of the conclusions i should establish nor did cooler reflection at first dash my confidence yet as i began to put the case fairly i saw that i might be building on an unstable foundation the facts might possibly be in accordance with local opinion and I regarded the affair with a mood of some reserve, yet I resolved to remain perched on the lookout, and I hugged to myself the thought that I alone was watching and wakeful, while the great crowd of thinkers and searchers stood heedless and indifferent, perhaps letting the most prerogative facts pass by unnoticed. End of Part 4 of Novel of the Black Seal